So, hello again, awesome. Alex. How's it going? Uh, it's going okay. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm all right, too. Uh, we both, per our last podcast, just finished watching The Revenant, so that kind of, uh, <laughs> that kind yeah. of sits with you. Man, I'm in such a bad mood. <laughs> like, <laughs> and for, like, no good reason, no good, like, uh justifiable reason except that i watched that movie and it just put me in a really bad mood yeah it's uh it's intense it Uh, is hard to watch and it makes me just think like uh, were people just harder were those people just harder people or are we all capable of that (laughs) you know yeah in good ways and bad ways because they mean they're like they're survivors, man. They like really can put up a lot of shit and be in really cold weather with not Jesus. much like clothing on. And but then at the same time, they're also like just capable of straight up murdering another dude. Like it's no it's probably just like desensitizing. Like you know, you're you're just in it so much that you, you don't even think of complaining because there's worse stuff going on that you could complain about. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess you know anything can become normal. Yeah, I guess. Um, Man. But man, yeah, I just—it's so, like that guy. That, that guy can't catch a break either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like he, he like makes it out. You're like, oh, good, he made it. And then it's like, oh, and then now here come the Native Americans, and then and then you know he befriends one of them, and then oh, that guy gets killed. Sorry, spoiler yeah. alert. So well, yeah. First of all, if if you haven't seen the Revenant, this probably wasn't going to be interesting to you anyway. So just <laughs> yeah. go ahead and and quit this podcast just, just don't watch it just and just, just delete do yourself it. a favor and don't watch it i mean actually it's a great movie I it is the great it's, it's, it's a, this weird contradiction of like it's really beautiful and good but painful to watch yes yeah, yeah um that's a good way to put it i was just but gonna the music's pretty dope <laughs> yeah yeah which is why we're we're doing this right, right so we're not right. here to i mean we can talk about the movie a little bit but um it all it's all connected i guess I was just going to kind of give a little context for people I'm pulling up a wiki here on the Revenant it's the soundtrack page, if you want to follow along at home. Um, but uh, the the movie is uh, directed by Inyaritu, and uh, he worked with the composer that we mentioned in our previous episode, uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto, on uh, his previous film, Babel which is also pretty good. I didn't know that he did that. Actually, I haven't seen Babel. Yeah, um, I s- saw it way back, let's see, I guess 2006 when it came out. Um, so that was my first year of college or second year. Of co- anyway, it was a long time ago. Um, I remember it was good, but that's about it, so I need to rewatch it. <laughs> um, and in terms of like the little biological context biographical not biological <laughs> biographical context um sakamoto the the composer for the film he had he was going through cancer at the time cancer treatment and um i didn't finish it yet i probably should have i was doing some extra credit uh watching this documentary about sakamoto it's more of a biopic and um he i only got about a third of the way through but he was just talking about cancer and his first reaction was kind of disbelief and then kind of giving up everything as he went into uh treatment and then the subsequent recovery so for a while he wasn't making any music 
he's kind of a little bit of thinking like, you know, what's the point and, and all that. Um, also just very hard and draining when you're being treated for any kind of cancer. So, um, I read, I think it was in this wiki or maybe it was in one of the links from the wiki that, uh, he, he brought on, uh, Alva Noto in order to help him out with this, just to make sure to see it through. Um, not in kind of a morbid sense, but just, you know, he needed extra help because he didn't think he would be able to give it his hundred percent. So, uh, mm-hmm. apparently I, I'd never heard of Alva Noto, um, but it's a I frequent collaborator of him, co- collaborator of him, um, and known for kind of this more acoustic style, but also, I, I don't know how you describe these people, a mixture of acoustic, but also does these crazy digital stuff. So, um, and there's a lot more film credits. I noticed at the end, I kind of skipped ahead to the music part of the credits just to see, uh, you know, who, who did what. And I was surprised at least the way they represent it in the credits. Sakamoto didn't have that much. <laughs> um, there, I mean, there's this whole soundtrack that you can listen to, uh, where it's all of his original compositions. Looks like we got 23 tracks, um, about half of them are just by Sakamoto. The other half are Sakamoto plus Alva Noto. But in the in the you know the credit roll, you see uh, a lot of other composers and writers. Uh, you know they are are playing maybe just recordings that weren't composed originally for the film, but just used in the film. Um, and I was surprised to see uh, Hilder. I'm not going to say the name right. <laughs> Golden Doter. The uh, she's mm. the composer who uh, won the Oscar this year, or was it last oh, year? Oh right, that's true. Yeah. No, it was this year. Yeah, yeah. She's um, the first woman to win in that category. If uh, not, yeah, if yeah. I remember right. Yeah. So she is Icelandic, which explains the impronounceable name. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she, I'm just trying to find the, the details so I say it right. So much for being prepared, Joker. That's what it was. Oh, yeah, Joker. Joker, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she did the soundtrack for that and got the Golden Globe and Venice International Film Festival, uh, um, original score. She uh, won the Academy, Academy Award. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all these awards. Right. Um, and apparently with The Revenant, uh, it was up for like best soundtrack or best original score, I think. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember which which one it was and it was disqualified because it was more than one composer. Apparently you can only get best original score if it's got one composer on it. I don't know. It's kind of dumb. Well, I think, well, is that true or is it that, um, I remember reading this too, or was it because there's, um, music in the film that was not composed for the film here? The, the score was ruled ineligible for the Academy Award for Best Original Score because it was, quote, assembled from the music of more than one composer. That's for the the Academy Award, right. And then it got beat before the Golden Globe and BAFTA. I I think a lot of movies include a couple of tracks from other stuff, you know, depending on the scene. Um, I think this is because um, Sakamoto had Alva Noto helping him out. And Mm. which, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of weird like best movie or or whatever is uh you know or best um did they do uh what's the term best script 
trying to think. Uh, <laughs> right. Like multiple people yeah, can write a script. Multiple contributors, right? Yeah. Multiple people can, can edit a film. Yeah, multiple yeah. people can. It's not like the award the is editing. best composer. It's not right. an individual award. So I don't know. That's kind of. I don't get it either. Yeah. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the bones of it. The, some of the wiki information. Um, and it's funny. It yeah. said it got beat by, uh, the Hateful Eight soundtrack. Yeah, Morricone. Morricone. But I uh, I don't remember that soundtrack, so now I feel like I have to go listen to that soundtrack. <laughs> I know, me too. And see how it beat this one. But Yeah. Um, I remember I liked the movie, but I didn't. Yeah. So The Revenant, as I kind of said this in the last episode, uh, it's one of those movies that I recognized it was, you know, looks very good, like excellent drama the trailer looks very intense very cinematic beautiful nature shots and stuff um but it just seemed too intense and i never felt like i was in the mood to just go see a movie like that um and then i think one friend saw it and and said eh, it wasn't that good <laughs> and so that was enough for me i never saw it um but i i watched it yesterday afternoon you watched it this morning and my overall takeaway was that it was visually beautiful. Like this, so many of these scenes could just be amazing nature photographs. And in terms of the sound, cause I was trying to pay special attention to the sound. I thought that it, it did a great job of using these kind of field recordings of nature, like the babbling brook and stuff. Mm-hmm. I really noticed nature the most. That was the forefront of the audio. We'll talk about this a little bit. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like it's almost, I don't, I mean, I don't know the extent to which Sakamoto did, but it, it's almost like it's used as part of the soundtrack. Well, so like, that's, that was, yeah, my feeling yeah. too. I was going to mm-hmm. agree with that, that, um, he, I don't know. Cause I haven't listened to the soundtrack soundtrack, you know, in isolation. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's mixed in with the music, but in the film, and I feel like this would be true of Sakamoto is uh, really kind of drawing on nature. I saw in part of the documentary, for example, I need to go back and finish that, but um, he likes to go out into nature with his, you know, kind of parabolic microphone and get those nice recordings of the Mm -hmm. natural surroundings. And I think that that was definitely part of creating the, the soundscape and the music was almost subservient to the nature sounds. It was kind of like like a watercolor, just adding a little texture to it until uh, certain parts where it got more climactic and then the music kind of stood forward. But uh, w- without getting into the specific scenes, I think that's my overall takeaway. Uh, I didn't really notice it as a focal point in the way that like 2001 Space Odyssey we talked about. I felt music was very much a focal point. Is it true you killed an officer? Uh, 
I just killed a man who's trying to kill my son. So, uh, what's your yeah? Well, general my feeling. Away? I mean, I I kind of agree. And actually, I was trying to th- you know, I always try to think about. I don't know. My my brain always makes like things like things have to be representative. Like there must be like something that Sakamoto was trying to um, tell us through the music or communicate. Um, besides just like a general ambient underpinning. And for me, I think the way it was used, um, and I can try to cite a few examples, is it's almost as if it's like the cosmos, the voice of the cosmos in what's happening. So, um, and the cosmos is, you know, it's very unchanging and, and you could think of it that way. Like it's a, it's not something that like humans can affect very much. It's like, yeah, it's more the effect goes the other way around, but there are moments. Go ahead. And that is a, a theme I think that comes up religious, um, you know, kind of this cosmic justice of, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't have, I don't get to do revenge or I don't get to have my revenge. That's up to God is something that, uh, the main character says. Yeah. I mean, there's some beautiful shots of, you know, uh, DiCaprio like walking through this like mountain pass and he's just this tiny speck, you know, and there's the huge like cello, uh, low string sound playing the like, you know, the, the main theme. So, I mean, in that case, it really feels like that is the reverberation of the cosmos. Like, you know, it's like, even even though you're just seeing this very static image, there is a feeling that the the environment is a pre- is like a an uh, oppressor mm-hmm. on the situation, right? Which it is kind of a obviously. barometric pressure. It's it's just yeah, it's all yeah. around you. And that's kind of what that personified to me. And then there's other moments where, like, one where he falls off the cliff on the horse, and then he's, you know, we think, well, maybe he's dead. I don't know. He's laying mm-hmm. on the ground. And then his eyes come open, and right at that moment, there's, like, a big, uh, or not a big, but, like, for the for the score, it's big, mm. uh, like, sharper moment. And that made me think, again, like, it's the cosmos, like, deciding, like, no, that's not how we had it planned. So it's, like, bing, it's, like, zapping him, you know, kind yeah. of back to reality. and. I don't know. There's just, a, I feel like there are other moments that I'm not going to be able to remember, but it really feels like when, when, well, you mentioned injustice is happening. There's like kind of a, a swelling of the music. Like it, it, but it's not like, it's not like it's being disturbed in like a really jagged way. It's just this kind of like agitation of it. Yeah. Right. And so that made me feel like there's this like cosmic uh, goop all around us. And whenever something is going like against 
the way that's supposed to work, it like gets really agitated. It's the same, but it's just more agitated now. about so you know when you you said that he opened his eyes and and it felt like there was more of a, a an impulse in the music mm-hmm. not nece- a relative change right um and so i was going to ask you about what, what you think about the dynamics of the music throughout um because uh it you know at, a lot of times it was almost imperceptible it was just kind of um mm-hmm. what would you call it like a drone almost uh through some parts and um and it it phased in and out of becoming noticeable and and passive um and he does different things i think to excite the dynamics to create contrast without being loud um and um i noticed i don't know if, if i'm making this up but um at least i, I think um, cause I was looking for instruments, uh, you know, one of the first things this thing is like, okay, well, what instruments are playing and what is he using or how's he creating these effects? And apart from the cello, maybe there's, you know, multiple strings going on at some parts, nothing ever felt percussive or like, uh, there's no like pizzicato. The, when a couple times when he did a piano, there was no actual, mm-hmm. um, piano typical uh hammer action going yeah, on it was, like it a was harmonic on it the string. was like plucked mm-hmm. or yeah you're rubbing the strings on the inside of the instrument um so it was like if i'm you know making up motivation maybe but i'm i was thinking it seems like this guy is doing everything he can to like not have a hard uh action in in the in the music musical palette but he saves it all up for the end because then at the end um, I felt like in that last half hour where he's, you know, finally getting close to the, uh, the, the bad guy that, you know, he wants to get revenge on. Um, I think there's some drums. I can't remember now. And, um, yeah. and then there's definitely, um, piano comes out in its natural form in the theme. And, um, there's, Yeah. I need to replay it again, but the the, yeah, the, ty- the type of performance actually has you know percussive moments if that's the actual word for it, yeah, it as opposed to ambient. just string, yeah, bowing. Yeah, it becomes less ambient, and I mean I think you agree. And another thing I noticed is you know basically all the time whenever there's action happening, the music just gets right out of the way. I mean it's like it lets things yeah. happen in silence, um, as I think you mentioned before, but like. So the, I think the we most dramatic moments, yeah, the most yeah. dramatic moments, you know, in this piece, they're made more dramatic by the fact that there is no underscoring, which is counter to a lot of movies we see, you know, the, it's like the... It fills the, in that emptiness. Yeah. Uh, right, right, right. Like, but in this wh- case, it's, yeah, the, the actions themselves are so, you know, brutal and, and stark or aggressive or shocking in some cases that it, like the... I think Sakamoto's wise and, and the other composers that like 
it didn't need anything for that. Like, like mm-hmm. you're feeling it all. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you're there's nowhere to hide because I think, in fact, sometimes in in scores that I've heard, it's almost like whereas the score is designed, I think, usually to help, uh, you know, contextualize the emotion and like help you feel something. In this case, it like the are in some cases that lets you hide in it though. You like hear the sappiness of the music maybe or that, and you like you're reminded that this is a movie, and you know sometimes it can take you out of it, even though it's supposed to keep you in it. But in yeah. this case, like he gives you nowhere to hide. So like these things are happening, and it's like almost like you want the music to kind of come and be a blanket and like yeah, yeah, yeah. help like you process it, but it's not there. And it's just like, you just got to live with her. I think that's why it makes me feel so like damn uncomfortable watching yeah. this. I'm like, there's just nothing here to grab onto. It's like only bad, only terrible things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to- there's like nowhere to look. There's nowhere to, you know, focus your attention. Otherwise you, you have just to sit with your, with, with your own feelings. Like, like you yeah. said, you don't, um, you don't have a, um, a caricature emotion to refer to. It's not like, oh, this character dies, and now, oh, you have this beautiful, like, orchestral sadness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you can you just kind of, like you said, feel that sappiness. Instead, like, uh, his, after his, he sees that his son has died, and he goes to him, and then it kind of, like, pans up to the sky, and you have some clouds and stuff. It's... Mm-hmm. If not silent, I think it was near silent. Um, and it just really, yeah, you really had to sit with it and just feel that sense of loss. And um, I think if there had been any, you know, sad music, that would have dampened the feeling. Because instead of feeling complete loss, you'd feel a little bit of loss. And then you'd be like, oh, this is, you know, some sweet, this is some nice music. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know. Like, right. It just, yeah, it moves you on somehow yeah. or it, it helps you process it or. Yeah, it's not case, accelerating like, anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's letting right, you right. sit there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just. Yeah. Very noticeable that he was leaving those spots open. And, um, uh, and it also kind of points to this, the old, like, you know, uh, saying about like if a tree falls in the forest does it make a sound mm-hmm. and i think that's true like some so much of this is in solitude or in isolation that like there's like three people there in the middle of this vast wilderness and what would it be like to watch a struggle like that where it's like you think like oh there's all this struggle there must be like must be so noisy and like you know yeah. but, but it's like no one's gonna hear you if you scream so right. it just happens in this kind of like silence and like uh, he's getting it's... fucking mauled by a bear yeah. and you know you'd think like if this were like spielberg or something you'd <laughs> you'd have like you know timpani going you know it's really tense but instead i mean again i need to go back and check these but i i think there was nothing not much going on in terms of the sound it was just like him and just this intense fear of like don't move or it's gonna like make it worse right yeah. Yeah, and I remember I the first time I saw this it was in the theater, you know, so it was like right after it came out. Mm-hmm. And I remember that like the sound of all that stuff was so immersive that it yeah. was like really I mean, it made it even more intense. It was a the much tearing. different experience watching it on my like uh my computer, which yeah. is what I did this time for most of it. 
you know. Um, so you really didn't need the music, especially if you have those like subwoofers, you know, and like you, it's like you feel the bear on top of you because <laughs> you can feel that all oh, that sound, you know, from that from just the effect. You don't need any underscoring to provide that. Yeah. Um, but on that same note about being in the theater, I think whenever you know you are getting that main theme. Um, and it's in the, the vast openness. It does. It helps you actually be in that world because you you kind of feel the the base of it on you, and it's kind of reminding mm-hmm. me of like whenever like there's like a wind, like a constant wind, kind of blowing at your back. Mm-hmm. You kind of feel that all the time. Like it kind of made me think of that. Um, I don't know if I'm sure that's not like a direct intention thing, but it was. It helped it to be immersive. Like I can remember that experience now. Um, yeah. interesting to to learn more about how people compose for film um I've always, i thought that would just be such a hard job but um you know do they have I, in the little bit that i saw in the documentary he was listening to the dialogue track while he was playing some improvising some stuff mm-hmm. um so that's part of his process in in the case of the revenant um other people you know maybe they have the the movie playing up on a big monitor or something and they're reviewing it it'd be uh i wonder if there's any movies or documentaries that talk about this this process i wonder how it happens you know from end to end because not only it's not like i was even blown away by the when i learned that elton john um you know, he didn't write the lyrics. I, I always mm. <laughs> thought like when I originally yeah. heard him that, you know, he's a singer songwriter, but, um, you know, that he would, he would get the lyrics from his, uh, I don't remember the songwriter's name. Now I feel bad. <laughs> but, I don't either, but I know what you mean. Yeah. He, so he would get the lyrics basically, you know, it's a poem without, you know, until it has music. So you get this poem and then he sits down at the piano and somehow comes up with a song that fits the words and I mean, again, I'm just an amateur, so I can't really say, but I feel like that'd be super hard because you, you can't, I don't know, you can't make a song in isolation. This piece has to fit, you know, like the syllables in the word, although I guess you can stretch out syllables if it's a song. And then mm-hmm. I just, the reason I'm bringing that up is like, that's a, a small example. When you're doing a movie, 
I feel like that's 10 times harder because not only do you have to fit this palette, this emotional palette and visual kind of sense of what the director's doing, but you also have to get the timing just right. You know, you can't do a 10 minute piece if it's a five minute scene, that kind of thing. Um, So yeah, it just sounds really complicated and I'd like to learn more about how people do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really a composer, but I, I feel like, uh, you know, as a musician and someone who tries to be creative, uh, that it would be, there are some parts about it that would be easier than just composing normally, um, whatever normally means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some parts that would be harder. One of the parts that'd be easier is maybe that like, you don't have to decide where this is going to go. Like the movie has already decided where the action is going to go. So mm. you have to just like, you don't have to decide what happens next. You just yeah. have to make sure that your music is communicating it. And then that's also the thing that makes it hard, <laughs> like at the same time. Like, so it takes away the burden of having to maybe say, like, decide what you want to say. But then at the same time, it's like you're fitting, like you're saying, fitting this really, um, really distinct parameters of when things have to happen and, and what the music is allowed to do when. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sure that I, I think the composers that probably excel at this the most are like the um, the ones that are the best technicians. I want to say, so not necessarily the most creative composers, but the ones that like have the most tools in their tool belt because they're able to navigate so many different situations. Mm-hmm. I feel like kind of like maybe like Hans Zimmer, you know, um, is yeah. a good example of that. Of just like. I like a lot of his scores, but there are some that I'm like, oh, this is like, he's using the same kind of techniques. I can hear it, but he's really good at doing that. Like it's, you can't really complain about any of his scores, except that maybe they lack a bit of creativity. Yeah. Sometimes. yeah. Um, so, but anyway, I, I mean, I love Hans Zimmer's score, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> I feel like I don't, I'm sure it's there, but I don't notice it as much when it's something like Hans Zimmer because it is more stretched out and kind of, I don't know. It's so, it's so full. There's not a, like a clear like motif that I necessarily follow, but, yeah. um, you know, when you do like John Williams, it's a lot more obvious, uh, the, the types of things he'll continue to recycle. Um, and stepping outside of movies for a second, we were watching, Mary and I were watching on YouTube. They've got this, um, Andrew Lloyd Webber is streaming, uh, his like musical productions, one mm-hmm. one every couple of days we were watching phantom of the opera it'd been maybe 15 years since i'd seen phantom of the opera um but it sounded like some of these songs sounded straight up just like uh into the woods or some of these other musicals that he's done and i mean obviously every composer has their style their sound but um yeah. the i guess that's that's kind of what i was thinking of when you said toolkit of like well you know maybe you have some musical nuggets that you bring out Mm -hmm. and you're like okay let's just transpose the key a little bit and we'll make it slower or faster right Um, right yeah well there's um man if i wasn't a broke musician i would definitely sign up for this in a heartbeat but there's a thing called Masterclass. i keep getting ads for it on youtube oh yeah i've seen this there's a hans zimmer one and they're actually the only ads on youtube that i watch all the way through (laughs) yeah i watch them to the end i'm like this is interesting but then like you know they cost like 90 dollars or something for one of them 
Mm. And they're like a few hours long. I is think, that the whole but, course um, or like one lesson? One like well, there's like it's a, it's a master class, so it's like one oh, thing, okay. and it'll be like with Hans Zimmer or like an astronaut or like Neil deGrasse Tyson or who's some other ones I've seen? Uh, Dead Mouse mm-hmm. for electronic music. People production. at the top of whatever they are doing. Yeah, yeah, and they look they all look super interesting, um, mm-hmm. but they're just like really expensive. Uh-oh. Yeah, I just bumped my mic cable. You're gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a huge spike on my thing. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so I would love to watch those because on the Hans Zimmer one, he's talking about like, um, you know, that you don't, you don't always need a lot to communicate a lot. You don't need a lot of like a big idea or something complicated. Like in the Batman one uh, that he did, he uses just these two like French horn notes. This like the yeah. bum bum, you know, and, like it's like everything you need is yeah, right yeah, in those yeah. two notes. But you have to know that you have to like know that you don't need a lot <laughs> mm. to get it done. And I think that's what makes him again like an exceptional film composer because he didn't need a lot. And the same with Sakamoto. I mean, he recycles that same cello thing over and over again because the the environment is constant uh-huh. it's not changing it's not like oh now it's spring and there's no more snow no it's like this is a bastardly terrible place That's and punishing. it's gonna continue to be a bastardly terrible place it hasn't changed like don't forget that these people are this is all taking place in like 10 degrees and below all the time and how many times they know. jump in that river and I'm just thinking, how cold is that? And right. you don't hear them go, ooh, it's chilly. Or, ooh, cold, 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 cold. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I would be. That. I'd be like, holy shit. Oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Oh, yeah, I know. But they just dive in like, oh, it's nice in here. But if you think about it, like, if your life depended on it, like, you wouldn't, you might not notice. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I guess that's kind of, maybe that helps you realize, like, it helps convey the drama of whatever danger is happening because you're like, oh, well, like in normal circumstances, just being in that water would be a huge danger. Yeah. Um, but they're like, oh, I'll just slide right into this water. And, you know, <laughs> because whatever's on the, the other alternative is like 150 times worse. Yeah. So, yeah, man. And that's anyway. crazy. Um, yeah. What you're talking about, like learning when not to do something, I think that's the mm-hmm. hardest part. And, that's probably true of all kinds of art forms and whatnot. I know yeah. as a designer, um, I still get this feedback <laughs> from time to time of just, you know, uh, give it more space, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like just move those a little bit further apart. Like, you know, cause I'll get excited about including everything onto a, you know, a screen or something and it's all there and it looks nice and it's, lined up just straight and everything but then someone else will come along and be like oh no you need to like double the space that you have between all those things <laughs> yeah. and then you do of course and it looks way better it's like oh okay now it has time to breathe yeah, yeah. I think sometimes we want to we have like all these ideas in our head and we want to see them all at the same time yeah <laughs> yeah so I like to put things close together I mean I was like I was doing these uh this is totally off topic but I was doing these uh, like lesson videos or like um, I was reviewing all these students uh, like solos they recorded. This is how Mm -hmm. they're doing e-learning for one of the schools they teach at. And so they'd be like playing a solo and I'd want to like write down like every single thing that I heard. Yeah. And then after I did that for like one, I was like, oh, that's going to take way too long because there's like 35 (laughs) of these. Um, And so then I learned quickly like, you know 
got to go for the most important things. Mm-hmm. And then in that case, what I learned is that I was saying, because most of them are playing like the same piece of music, mm-hmm. that I was saying the exact same things for everyone because the most important things are those things. And like, you were just giving the examples. Person. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that, that made it a lot more efficient for me for sure, because I was copying and pasting a lot. Because it was like the same issues need to be addressed. And those actually are the most important issues. It doesn't matter that you missed a note in measure 35. It doesn't matter that, you know, this dynamic wasn't quite as soft as it could have been. It's like, actually, you just need to pay attention to the dynamics, period. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like So so I just, you know, got a lot more general. And that's, you know, mostly what they needed, I think, you know. (laughs) I I ran into that when uh, I was a teacher for a year and grading papers and... um, uh i noticed when i was grading papers that uh yeah exact i would like every comma or missed little grammar issue um i would you know red pin all of that because i I approached it as this idea is like okay well here i am i gotta grade them so i gotta make sure i I get every little detail to be to do my job correctly yeah it's like you're checking yourself it's like well if i miss something that i should have told them then it's like i made an error right right <laughs> and then i realized that, i get myself hold on like maybe yeah. i'm giving them a hard time and <laughs> you know in order to like actually improve a little bit i need to like focus on the broad strokes mm-hmm. yeah yeah I so you. we've thoroughly gone off topic <laughs> yeah right um, um, there was one thing I thought about that I kind of wanted to bring up, um, which is that the instrument selection, I thought, um, is interesting. It's it's really good. And I was trying to think, like, why why do those strings sound so good? Why did he pick strings mm. for that? And I, I kind of came up with a, a few ideas that I don't know if are true, but they're, you know, they're draft ideas. And one is just that, um, I don't know, you can tell me what you think, Rob, but the mm. way I hear different instruments is that, like if you were to play me like a solid like someone just playing like um full bow like cello Mm -hmm. um and it's a forte and it's just which means loud you know it's just like coming at you it's a full sound i i kind of feel like that's like a wall of sound like a flat uh like how it hits me in the face (laughs) as you hit the microphone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. how it hits me in the face is very like flat um like a flat wall of sound yeah versus like imagine like a trombone doing the same thing or a trumpet i feel like the way it hits you is a little bit more rounded yeah if that makes any sense and so i think that like if he had used brass or or winds it would have just felt um a little bit like more i don't know more round when it needed to be like a i don't know i don't know how to explain it but needed to be flat it seemed to capture the the expansiveness Oh, what was going on to use the cello versus something that seemed very much like round implies a boundary, I think, mm. in a way, because it's like enveloped. But when it's flat and coming at you, you can't really tell like, well, how wide is it? How deep is it? It's just flat, you know? Right. So um, that's just, I mean, that's just a hypothesis. I have, I have no idea. It's hard to explain why things make you feel certain ways. But yeah. That's, well, I mean, I, I feel like that's. I think you're doing a better job than I am. I, but I would, I would, you know, if I were to imagine, you know, like if if Hans Zimmer did this score and you had some French horns, you know, it um, to me I would describe it as the brass. Um, I don't know if it's because you have to, you know, 
shove your own human breath into the instrument that just the physics of it you know you have more of an impulse and a decay and um so it does create that shape but um but to me when i hear brass it indicates the beginning of something um or Mm. you know like something else is going to join it or or it could just be, you know, like a foghorn type of, and then, you know, and then it's going to go away. And so even though it's long and, and soft, it's still uh, a form of a spotlight. Like you're saying, like, look yeah. at this part, look at this, you know, 32nd part of the, the film. And, um, it's like directional in some yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, I agree. I was just thinking of it in, in a different sense, whereas, you know, a stringed instrument or anything that you can kind of sustain without much change to the quality of the tone, um, that's almost like this, you know, big, broad landscape uh, that you often have in, in the movie. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, uh, and my partner disagreed with me a lot on this, so uh, she plays the flute, so that's uh-huh. probably a reason why, and I play percussion. And I, <laughs> I kind of made the argument that, it, that um, strings and percussion, because they don't require the breath, are are better not in every situation <laughs> not not better sorry i'm not done with that that's a comma better uh-huh. comma at um actually it's not a comma that's grammatically incorrect but that doesn't matter <laughs> get um, a red pin <laughs> right they're they're better at communicating non-human concepts um not in every mm. situation but in a lot of situations because there's no breath limitation um so you don't like i think the breath quality adds so much more humanness to the sound right because we we understand the length of a breath um Uh and and when we hear uh wind instruments play we notice the breath or we notice that phrases have to be a certain length because that's how long our breath can last and um and it feels very natural to us in the way we speak because we also speak that way we have to take breaths Mm -hmm. and then keep going right so um that that being said, there's like two sides to that, which is that it's really hard, I think, especially in percussion, and I'll also argue in strings, to communicate something that feels very, very human. Um, whereas winds and brass have like a, a much better job doing that. Like when I think about like what do I want to hear when the hero is doing something like in the orchestra, like the theoretical hero, I want to hear the French horns or the trumpet, and I associate that with a very human person, like. Mm. Uh, Versus when it's sometimes like I've heard like uh, what, like what about violin concertos, mm-hmm. where the the violin is supposed to represent the hero, but I just can't. I just it doesn't feel as strongly like that is the hero. Like but I, using I hero, something. you're you're talking about positive tones. What about sure. sadness? Sadness. Do you hmm. think it works the same? Because I was just about to argue the the opposite, and I'm thinking of oh, sad emotions. That strings. That strings. For for me, the cello, although I grew up learning piano the cello i think has been my favorite instrument because it's something it touches some spiritual i don't know something mm-hmm. about the cello in terms of it's you know stringed instrument but also just it's it's register of where it happens to live feels more close to human like a violin doesn't feel human um mm-hmm. as in in a way that the cello does and um, maybe it's because it is kind of in our similar human vocal register yeah but um the way that you hear the vibration in it it sounds mm-hmm. like you know something you feel in your chest this tightness of your muscles or something uh so in that way 
I was thinking of something like a cello often feels very human and intimate. Of course, you have to be a good performer to execute that. But sure, um, sure. but yeah, I think of that. Um, w- in terms of the wind instruments, often, you know, I will agree it's more human, but it's almost in a way of like, I'm reminded that a human is making this music for me. Um, oh, yeah, but if I'm just true. getting lost in the music and like what type of mindscape is being built by listening to a piece, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I've always felt like cello was very human, soulful kind of tone. Yeah, I don't actually necessarily disagree with you. I think where I'm I'm drawing the line maybe in a different place, whereas you're saying that cello is really good at describing or communicating human emotion, I think I'm more suggesting that like when you're trying to put an action mm. into music, that the 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 breath length of uh of the wind instruments can help a lot in like making it feel like because things happen in a cadence they happen in a natural way and that's based on the limitations of humans and um so i mean that's just how i hear it like um but like like uh, in the hall of the mountain king at the end Mm -hmm. the climax we know he's Mm -hmm. up in the tower and they're like banging on the door and then you have the the It, it feels like you know it's there's like fighting and that's like you have these heavier and shorter breaths when you're in a fight and mm-hmm. the wind instruments are mimicking that like whoo, whoo, yeah, kind of yeah. sense. Yeah, that's that's a good example. Yeah. I totally agree. But I think that like with things like something more enduring that is not real I mean I don't know, I guess you could argue that sadness can't exist w- without humans, but like um like something enduring like sadness could be personified well by a string instrument because it's it is this enduring metaphorical or a higher level thing you know it's not necessarily the a human like action it's just this this purely an emotion that exists mm-hmm. if that makes sense anyway yeah. we could go on and on about that i'm sure but uh anyway i feel like the reason it was using the revenant that way one one good reason it works is because and why i associate it with the cosmos is because it's uh, like it sounds very otherworldly. I can't yeah. associate it. that. Doesn't sound human in any way to me. That that close chords, the main theme chords, mm-hmm. to me it sounds totally inhuman. Um, mm. So anyway, that's that's it. Plays the role of the the cosmos, the yeah. the kind of invisible third character. Yeah, yeah. At least that's what I think. Even though it could be the length of a breath, it's it doesn't sound that way at all to me. It doesn't yeah. feel like a breath. It's totally unnatural. So interesting. Anyway. Cool. Well, I admit this is kind of a hard one to discuss because the, there's so much subtlety in there. I think next mm-hmm. time we should do like Star Wars or something. <laughs> <laughs> something a little, a little bit lighter, fair. Yeah, or uh, some something where uh, also where the music is a little bit more to the to the forefront be easier to pick up some examples that people might be able to remember um yeah. it's hard it's hard to remember ambient music although um arrival i really love that and like yeah, i can no, hear see, that i can't i can't remember it so okay. I, need, I need to maybe well maybe i like we went home and i sometime. played the soundtrack and stuff i really got oh, into yeah. it for a while so <laughs> maybe that's it yeah uh so anyway yeah let's uh we'll we'll talk offline later mm-hmm. uh wrap this up but we can Sounds think of good. another movie that could be good maybe a different tone and it could be a different subject matter too. You know, we don't just have to talk about the music in it. We can uh, discuss just different artistic elements of movies, like we talked about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Um, if we've got a good example of that, so cool. 
Sounds good. All right. Well, have a good one. Talk to you later. See you later, Rob. See ya.